following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, I don't know how I'm supposed to uh, preach after singing my holy guts out uh, <laughs> already this morning. <clears throat> yeah. Um, well, uh, Merry Christmas. Um, I've, um, all right, I'll be honest with you. I've said this before from this pulpit. I don't think it's a secret to anyone. Um, I don't like Christmas. Doesn't my shirt, my shirt says otherwise, right? It's, yeah. It's, it's impossible to ignore the Christmas. It, it's kind of in your face. And it, there's, uh, there's all kinds of added pressure around at Christmas time. It just, it just disrupts everything. I get, to, I'm a kind of a routine person and the things, go along in a regular schedule, and then Christmas comes along and uh, fouls it all up. Well, I I don't think the Grinch was all wrong. I mean, maybe the stealing part, but just wanted things quiet. Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, we're not congregationally governed, so we can't vote it away. It's here anyway. Well, as disruptive as Christmas seems to be to me, I'm pretty sure that it was pretty disruptive the first time around um, as well. And I think that that's exactly the point. I would tell you my favorite part of Christmas. There, there are things about the season that I do enjoy. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a total Scrooge, but... Um, the absolute best part of Christmas for me, it happens on Christmas Eve about 7.30. Because at 7.30, Christmas Eve, there's nothing left to do, right? The presents are bought, they're wrapped, they're delivered, or an excuse is made for <laughs> UPS didn't make it on time. Right? Family is all in place for us. They're all together in one place for us for the most part. Christmas Eve candlelight service, so it's wonderful. It's all over and all the, all that's left to do is to scrape the wax off the pews. Right? And we get back to our house on the mountain and everything is finally at rest. <sighs> There's nothing that beats that feeling for me. That's my favorite part of Christmas. Uh, you've done all that you can. You worked hard, taking care of all that needs to be taken care of. It's all done, and you finally get to sit and rest, knowing that your labor, at least for now, is finished. In the morning, you have all the wrapping paper to clean up, but there's, at that point, everything is done. It's very interesting to me that our text for this morning, um, as disruptive as Christmas can be, especially to a sermon series, um, our scripture is still in Mark, still in uh, chapter 2. Uh, we didn't have to deviate at all. Um, 
And our text this morning has to do with rest. It's one of the things that I don't like about Christmas is to feel the pressure of jump out of the sermon series and preach a more Christmassy text. There's got to be shepherds and and uh, stables and wise men and mangers and that sort of thing. Um, but I didn't relent to the pressure. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28, and that's page 838 in the Pew Bibles. We finally turned the page. Mark chapter 2, start at verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for a time we are able to be together as a family here this morning. I thank you for the reason that we celebrate. Not just the birth of your son, but his life and his death and his resurrection and what all that work accomplished. So, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word this morning, I pray that you'd open our eyes to see the truth, open our ears to hear it, and soften our hearts to receive it and apply it. We don't want to just look in a mirror and forget what we look like when we walk away. We want to be doers of your word and not just hearers. We love you, Lord, and give you this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I didn't see any shepherds or angels or wise men in this passage that we read. But what is there is a great gift that Jesus came to give to those who would believe in him. Do you know what it is? Rest. Rest. In our text here, the Pharisees are doing what the Pharisees always did. Based on their preconceived ideas, their preconceived hatred of Jesus, they sought to use everything that he did against him. To condemn him. They had already decided in their minds that they didn't like him. They didn't like his teaching and they didn't want him influencing people. They already decided that he was bad. So there was no chance that they could ever see him do anything good. They would never see anything he did or said as good. Was a good thing. Was only the Pharisees that did that. And nobody else. Not anymore. That was a... Yeah, that was a joke. That happens all the time. Just in case you didn't notice. Sarcasm, sorry. Um, Maybe not a gift I need to give this morning. 
So Jesus and his disciples are walking on a path through a grain field on the Sabbath day. Okay? And being hungry, the disciples plucked some heads of the grain to eat. Now you know what wheat looks like. It's stuck with the head on the top and, and the stuff on the top is what gets ground into flour, uh, and that sort of thing. Well, if you just kind of rub it between your hands, all the chaff comes off, and then you're left with the wheat kernels, and you can eat that. Wow! Right? I don't think there's any growing around here, so... Um, but that certainly was where they were. So what's the big deal? It's like picking, pluck, picking a piece of grass, eat and roll it between your hands, and eat what's left. It, exactly. The Pharisees, all right, first of all, I have to say, they're not stealing grain. That's the first thing. They're walking through somebody else's grain field, not theirs, and they're plucking heads of grain. Now, this act was not lawful. Actually, it was biblical. (laughs) Deuteronomy 23, verses 24 and 25 says that it was okay for you to eat some of your neighbor's grain as you're walking through their fields, as long as you didn't use a sickle and get a bunch of it. Like, if you need a snack, go ahead. But if you need to make flour, don't do that. See, the Bible really does cover all aspects of life. But I don't think you should go to your neighbor's house and rifle through their cupboards and say, Deuteronomy 23 says it's all right. So what's the real problem? It's not that the disciples are stealing. It's that they're doing this on a Sabbath day, which is a big deal. And we talked about the rules the Pharisees have made up concerning the Sabbath day before and how they, the Pharisees overinterpreted the uh, intention of the fourth commandment. We all know the fourth commandment, right? The fourth commandment is keep the Sabbath day holy. Right, And they gave all kinds of definitions for what work was and what was forbidden on the Sabbath, including harvesting grain. That's what they said the disciples were doing, harvesting grain. They're working on the Sabbath. Now, if picking a few heads of grain to eat, right, if that doesn't seem like work to you, you have to remember that according to the traditions of the Pharisees, On the Sabbath day, it is legal to spit on a rock. Yeah. But it is not legal to spit in the dirt. Yes. (laughs) Spitting on the rock is perfectly fine, but it's forbidden to spit on the dirt. Because if you spit on the dirt, that would make mud. And mud can be used for mortar. So you just worked making mortar. This is the rules, okay? Making mortar constituted work, and working violated the Sabbath. So be careful at the baseball game, because there's dirt everywhere. So when the Pharisees point this out to Jesus, their goal was not correction. Like, hey, just so you got, hey guys, uh, you just violated the Sabbath, so come on, you can do better. That's not what the Pharisees were doing. Their goal is not correction. Their goal is condemnation. They say, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? 
see, Pharisees doing what they always did, measuring Jesus and his disciple by their man-made religious and ceremonial standards. Maybe what you're doing because I'm not preaching Luke chapter 2, the Sunday before Christmas. And Jesus' response exposes the fact that their complaint was not based on Scripture at all. Incidentally, Jesus also displays for us the best strategy for exposing legalism and false religious ideas. He goes straight to God's Word. It's the only measuring stick we have. A lesson I think we can all learn from. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? And he, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Hmm. Jesus, and this phrase lifted acts of necessity higher than those of ceremony. The disciples ate the heads of grain. David and his men ate the bread of the presence, which only the priests were allowed to eat. The point that Jesus is making here is that it's far better to preserve the lives of starving men by feeding them ceremonial bread than it is to preserve the ceremony at the expense of their suffering. If David's necessity excused him, then the same argument would certainly excuse the disciples. Like, this is just grain on the Sabbath. He went into the house of God, right? This was before the temple was built. It's still in a tent of meeting uh, at a place called Nob, everybody's favorite town. But grain was not the point. Their need was not the point. The Pharisees desire to justify themselves before God based on their own work, based on their own religion, based on their own definition of piety and faithfulness to God. That was the real problem. It didn't, they didn't care about grain, really. And Jesus not pointing out it's okay to eat grain on the Sabbath. This may seem a little extreme, but the Pharisees would rather have seen the disciples starve to death than to violate the Sabbath. To violate their hyper-strict interpretations of the law. And this, this, as Jesus will point out, is counter to the spirit of the law of the Sabbath. Is that what God really wanted? Don't pick grain. Don't eat the bread of the presence. Starve to death. It's better for everybody involved. This makes no sense at all. Jesus said in verse 27, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even on the Sabbath. The proper use of the Sabbath is for rest. It's a privilege and a benefit. It is not designed to be a religious task and a drudgery. And the spirit of the law of the Sabbath was in respect to human need and takes priority over ceremonial interpretations and regulations. 
Now, isn't that, you got up this morning thinking this is what we're going to talk about at church. It may seem a little silly, a little out of place to be talking about Sabbath rest during Christmas time, right? How many here still have a list of things to do, right? You're not done. I can see on your faces. So much to do, shopping to do, house to clean, presents to make. Presents to wrap, concerts to attend, ballets, parades, tree lighting ceremonies, Carolina, candlelight, baseball practice. There is, folks. There is. It's all. That's our family. I'm sure you don't have anything like that going on. The last statement that Jesus makes in this passage is so important. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Jesus has authority over the Sabbath and its proper observation. The Pharisees didn't. Who gave them authority to make all these rules? Nobody. They just did on their own. Their rules were intended not for righteousness, but for slavery. They just wanted to control people put themselves on the top of the food chain, and everybody served them. Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Not you. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And the point I want to make is that Jesus is not only Lord of the Sabbath, He is our Sabbath Jesus is our Sabbath rest. This has nothing to do with stopping work when the sun goes down on Friday and not doing anything until the sun goes down on Saturday. That's not what it's about. That's what the Pharisees wanted. I'm not here to say, look, everybody, when uh, when the clock strikes sundown on Friday, drop it and nothing but cold cereal to eat all weekend long. And if you don't do that, God's not happy with you. That's what the Pharisees were doing. And unfortunately, far too many churches in our day teach the same thing. May not take on this same form. But it's play by our rules. Do things our way. Dress like we dress. Sing like we sing. Speak like we speak. I don't challenge you to do that. Before Jesus came, the people only had the law. And they couldn't even follow that. But when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, when the word was made flesh and God dwelt among us, he began the work of purchasing our Sabbath rest. Lee talked about peace. Mary talked about peace. Excuse me, I don't want to pull back the veil on that. (laughs) That was Mary, everybody. She talked about peace. What greater peace is there than for us to lay down our work and trust that the work has been done for us? That's real peace. Not just being okay with everything that's going on. Just accepting, well, life is terrible. I guess that's just how it goes. I feel at peace. That's not really it, honestly. Trusting God in the midst of difficulty absolutely will give you peace that you don't understand. But this is peace between man and God that Jesus purchased for us. 
We mustn't only focus on the birth of Jesus at Christmas time. If you leave him in the manger, you miss the point. We must remember his life and death and resurrection as well. They cannot be separated. That's a part of the struggle I have with Christmas. We only focus on one part of the life of Christ and forget the rest. Well, this is, this is like chapter two. This is a long book. You can't just focus on that one part. If we get bogged down in our focus and of nativity scenes and the manger bed, we lose sight of the teaching of Jesus. We lose sight of the cross and the empty tomb. You cannot have a manger without a cross and an empty tomb. The world is fine with that, even though they'll wish you happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. I used to just think that was lumping New Year's in. That's why they say that. But I don't think so anymore. But we can't just get stuck on that one part and leave the rest. The great gift that the world received on that first Christmas was not just a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes but a Savior who would purchase our pardon on the cross and rise from the dead to secure our rest forever in faith in our Father God and the work of His Son. There's no more striving for righteousness. There's no more working hard to make sure you and God are okay. There is no more work for us to do. There never was any work for us to do to earn God's favor. As long as I tuck my shirt in and wear a belt, God loves me. No, it doesn't matter. There is no more work for us to do. Jesus did the work for us, all of it, so that we can receive the Father's forgiveness, receive adoption as his children. That's the gift. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, to the fathers. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, God's rest. In his great love for us, God sent his son, born of a woman, born of a virgin, to live and to die and to rise again, so that we, by faith, may find our rest in him. That's the gift that the Father has given to us this Christmas. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the great gift that you have given to us. We thank you, Lord, for wrapping forgiveness and salvation in swaddling clothes, but also piercing it with nails and a spear. God, may we not be so focused on the nativity that we forget the cross and the empty tomb. Father, I pray that our striving would cease, that we would accept your forgiveness, 
that we would accept that you are righteousness on our behalf. The only righteousness that we have is through faith in Jesus Christ. We can't add to it. We can't take away from it. The work is complete, and the work was done for us. I pray, Father, this morning, if anyone has not accepted the gift of salvation and forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ, that even in this very moment they would ask you for forgiveness and they would ask Jesus to come and live inside of them, that you would give them a new heart and adopt them as your child. Help us not overcomplicate it, Lord, but to simply trust you that the work on the cross was for us. The babe in the manger grew to be a man perfectly sinless, but died a sinner's death, the death that we deserved. But he did not stay dead. Praise your marvelous name that he rose again on the third day, never to see death again. Let's have faith in that Savior this morning. We thank you for that gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.